Hey, true crime fans, welcome back. It's TJ, the weirdo with a beardo from Wings 93, with another episode of True Crime Tuesday. Exploring true crimes and unsolved mysteries from across history and across the globe. Now, the Roaring Twenties was 100 years ago. And with it, stories of mobsters, bootleggers, and black market booze still fascinate us to this day. As we dive into the story of one of the most notorious mobsters of the Roaring Twenties, in True Crime Tuesday, episode number 105, the story of Al Capone. Alphonse Gabriel Capone was born in Brooklyn, New York, January 17, 1899, one of nine children born to a set of Italian immigrants. He was a bright kid, but prone to getting in trouble, especially at the strict Catholic parochial school where he attended. And at the age of 14, Al Capone was expelled after hitting one of his female teachers in the face. So he hit the streets, working odd jobs, including a candy store and a bowling alley. And after bouncing around several small-time gangs, he joined a notorious street gang called the Five Points Gang, based in Lower Manhattan, and became involved in organized crime by the time he was just a teenager. Now, one of his first jobs was becoming a bouncer at various locations. It was working the door one night when Capone insulted a young woman, whose brother slashed his face with a knife earning Capone the nickname Scarface, which he hated. Then in 1919, Capone left the Big Apple and moved to the windy city of Chicago, landing a job as a bouncer and eventually a bodyguard and enforcer for Chicago crime boss Johnny Torrio. Now, Torrio's group, often called the Chicago Outfit, was known for bootlegging, racketeering, extortion, and other illicit activities. Capone soon earned himself the distinction of being Torrio's right-hand man, and after being shot several times during a failed assassination attempt, Torrio stepped down, handing the reins of the Chicago outfit to Capone, who was just 26 years old at the time. Capone continued to grow the Mafia's empire in Chicago, expanding their bootlegging operations during Prohibition, turning up the heat on businesses buying their black market booze, often blowing up those businesses who refused to pay the price for their product and their protection. They killed roughly 100 people in the late 1920s and early 1930s. Capone had built valuable relationships with Mayor William Hale Thompson and members of the Chicago PD, meaning he was able to operate without much intrusion by law enforcement. Al Capone soon became the epitome of excess, enjoying gourmet food and drink, fine custom suits, high-quality cigars, and extravagant jewelry. And the trail of evidence regarding Capone's illegal activities was well covered. It seemed the only thing authorities had to go on was Capone's finances. So investigators believed they had what they needed to indict Capone on over 22 counts of tax evasion. But it would be several years before authorities made a move. In the meantime, Capone continued to grow the mob's foothold in Chicago while warring with neighboring gangs, including a bootlegger and fellow gangster named Joe Aiello, Capone's arch-rival, who made several failed attempts to kill Capone in the late 1920s. Because of the increased tension with other crime operations in the city, Capone would often take his family and his inner circle on trips out of town, staying in lavish hotels under false names to avoid being targeted by enemies. In 1928, Capone paid Clarence Bush of the Anheuser-Busch Brewing family $40,000 and purchased a 10,000-square-foot mansion on Palm Island, Florida, between Miami and Miami Beach. And despite his illegal and sometimes deadly activities, Capone developed quite the reputation around town. He received attention and applause while attending baseball games. He made generous contributions to various charities, 
Some even considered him to be a modern-day Robin Hood. Capone even opened up free soup kitchens in Chicago during the Great Depression in the late 1920s. But the bloody St. Valentine's Day Massacre cast a dark shadow over Capone and his operations, after seven rival gang members were murdered in broad daylight by a group of gangsters posing as police officers. And Capone went from harrowed philanthropist to public enemy number one, virtually overnight. After the Valentine's Day Massacre, Capone was a marked man. The Chicago PD and federal agents focused on Capone, but it was going to take a heavy hitter to help put Capone in prison for good. And that heavy hitter came in the form of the President of the United States, the newly inaugurated Herbert Hoover. Hoover had only been in office for several weeks before he was contacted by Walter Strong, the publisher of the Chicago Daily News. He'd arranged a secret meeting at the White House along with Frank Lush of the Chicago Crime Commission and powerful Chicago attorney Laird Bell. The men told the president that Chicago had fallen into a state of lawlessness at the hands of organized crime operations, including the one headed by Al Capone. So President Hoover ordered all federal agencies to concentrate their efforts to bring Capone and his allies to justice. The Treasury and Justice Departments became involved going after those involved in tax evasion. Prohibition agents went after those involved in the bootlegging operations, and it was a full-scale attack on Capone's operations. On March 27, 1929, Capone was finally arrested by FBI agents while leaving a Chicago courtroom being charged with contempt of court for faking an illness so he didn't have to appear, but was subsequently released. Just several months later, May 16, 1929, Capone was arrested again, this time in Philadelphia, for carrying a concealed weapon. Capone pled guilty and was sentenced to one year at Eastern State Penitentiary, where he served only nine months. And after his release in March of 1930, Capone was arrested yet again, this time in Miami Beach for vagrancy, or not having a steady home or source of income, basically being a drifter, and was sentenced to another six months in jail. Although he was still technically free, so to speak, for another six months while he was appealing the contempt of court charge from the previous year. But you may be surprised to find out that it wasn't blowing up buildings or murder or extortion, racketeering, or even bootlegging that sealed the fate of Al Capone. It was ultimately all of the unreported income he'd earned, but never paid taxes on. Capone's lawyer admitted to income of nearly $100,000 of 1928 and 1929, nearly $1.8 million in today's dollars, but failed to pay any taxes. So on March 13, 1931, Al Capone was charged with income tax evasion for 1924 tax year and was also indicted on 22 other counts of tax evasion stemming between 1925 and 1929. On top of that, 5,000 violations of the Volstead Act, the law that enacted prohibition and outlawed the production, transportation, and distribution of alcoholic beverages. Meanwhile, several of Capone's accomplices were also charged. His brother, Ralph Bottles Capone, Jake Greasy Thumb Guzik, Frank Nitty, and other mobsters were also the subjects of tax evasion. And finally, on November 24, 1931, Al Capone was officially sentenced after being convicted on five counts of tax evasion, sentenced to 11 years in federal prison, fined $50,000, on top of nearly $7,700 in court costs, and required to pay $215,000 in back taxes. And in May of 1932, at the age of 33, Al Capone was sent to Atlanta U.S. Penitentiary, where he was officially diagnosed with syphilis and gonorrhea. 
and was suffering from withdrawal from cocaine addiction. Once a powerful crime boss, Capone now a sitting duck in prison, ill-equipped to handle the physicality of day-to-day -day life. So after several assaults and accusations of him receiving quote-unquote special treatment, Capone was relocated to the infamous Alcatraz Federal Prison off the coast of San Francisco. But Capone's mental and physical health continued to deteriorate quickly in the years that followed, spending most of his final year at Alcatraz in the infirmary, confused and disoriented. After Alcatraz, Capone was transferred to the Terminal Island facility in California to serve out the remainder of his contempt charge before being paroled on November 16, 1939 and returning to his mansion on Palm Island, Florida in 1940. And by that point, Capone's untreated syphilis had eaten away at his brain until he had the mental capacity of a 12-year-old. Capone spent his final years at the mansion before suffering a stroke around January 21, 1947 and a heart attack several days later, killing him at the age of 48. And that is this week's True Crime Tuesday story, episode number 105, the story of one of America's most infamous mobsters, Al Capone. Join me each week for more stories of true crimes and unsolved mysteries. We'll see you next time.